just a, a few thoughts, some um, introduction. I like to do a little short devotional before we begin the thing. And I just wanted to mention what was discussed last night in Mark 7 when the deaf man was brought to Jesus to lay hands on him. And you remember Jesus put his hands in his ears and put spit on his tongue and and then prayed be opened and the man was healed and a similar situation with a few verses later in Mark chapter 8 where the blind man, people brought him and asked Jesus to lay hands on him and um, Jesus did so. You know, it's interesting that in those days spit or spittle was believed to have therapeutic property and Jesus always went with the belief system so we would probably talk about this today as the placebo effect that the people, man, the two men that we mentioned were believed that the spit was going to have an effect and it, of course when you believe something then there's more likelihood that it will happen but I don't want to focus on that. The two things which I thought were interesting is that Jesus took the person away from the crowd and he dealt with them in private. Jesus treated these people not as a clinical case, but as an individual, as a human being with need. And I think the greatest thing that we can do, all of us as healthcare professionals, is to remember that in dealing with, in dealing with people that come to us, we are dealing with we should be dealing with them as individuals, as human beings, as people who have need, not just as another clinical case. And I say this to myself as a teacher because every student in the classroom has to be treated as an individual and not just as an ID number in front of me. And Jesus also touched these people. We, somehow we've forgotten the power and the beauty of touch. I believe that massage and hydrotherapy owe some of their effectiveness to the fact that there's an intimacy, there's a, there's a touching of people and in great medical centres across the country, cancer centres, they're now realising the value in, in massage, in um, helping people sleep better and reduce pain and anxiety. It's not just medication, it's actually the, the touch, the massage that has been given. So these things are good for us to remember during this special weekend to refocus, rethink about the people that come through. We've been reminded that the theme of this weekend is how would Jesus run the office? Well, one of the ways he would run the office is that he would treat everybody as individuals, not as clinical cases. And he would not be afraid to touch in the inappropriate way, of course. There's nothing more impersonal but going to an office and the doctor's eyes don't even cross yours and he's busy on a computer writing something and you leave. You know, that, that friendship that has developed is something that's very important. So as we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this conference where we can come and refocus and we thank you for the example of Jesus in the way he treated everybody as individuals with need and not just as another clinical case. Guide us in our learning 
this afternoon we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you this afternoon about a subject that's very exciting to me. It's um, very heavy in chemistry, but we're not going to dig deep into all the biochemistry. We're, trying, we're going to try to um, show you the big picture and um, some of it's review and some of it's new material. The first thing we want to mention is that there's over 25,000 phytochemicals and to get them all you're going to have to have a varied diet. You're going to need to eat fruits and vegetables, whole grains, herbs, nuts, seeds. And we know a number of the phytochemicals, some of the more um, research ones are listed here and we will talk about some of these along the way if you read magazines you'll be familiar with some of these names like crotinoids and indoles and isoflavones but what I want to focus on is the examples of where the richest concentrations of these things are found and if you look over here you'll notice that there are spices, there are herbs, there are seeds, nuts, fruits, vegetables, beans, there's a whole variety of things and so one needs if, if you and these function in the body in different ways they exert themselves on different on metabolic pathways in in many different fashions we know of at least 15 or 20 uh, pathways where a phytochemical could help protect against cancer and so some of them are utilized in some pathways others are utilized in other pathways so clearly variety is very important Unfortunately, in the Western typical American diet, we don't get too much phytochemicals because fruit and vegetable consumption is limited. Whole grains is badly, poorly used. Uh, junk food high in, in sugar is uh, partaken and people are eating far too much animal protein rather than beans and tofu. And all of the things that I've just mentioned that they should be eating have the phytochemicals and the way that they're eating typical sort of McDonald's fries, burger, um, Coke meal has very, very little in the way of phytochemicals. The Italian research has showed that green vegetables reduce your risk of cancer and so as you go from a low intake to a medium intake to a high intake, you can get a greater reduction or a greater protection of many different, we, I've just listed some of them here and we don't want to focus too much on the numbers but it's clear that the numbers increase from left to right which means the more you eat the better the protection what is the optimal number we don't know it's just more okay there's there's obviously self-limiting in terms of how far more can go but uh, certainly more than what the typical American is eating the other thing about phytochemicals is that they do experience synergy and so you want to eat not your lutein from a bottle but rather from peas or spinach or whatever. You don't want to eat your lycopene from a bottle, from a pill, but rather from, from watermelon, from tomatoes, etc. Because the research literature shows us, at least in the case I'm presenting here, the phytochemicals, the indoles and thiocyanates in the broccoli and the lycopene in the tomato they're synergistic in their effect. So the idea is we should be eating foods 
as near as possible in their natural state. In other words, whole foods are very desirable. These are just a couple of examples you may have seen. Um, <clears throat> when you blanch walnuts and get rid of the, the, um, the thin brown skin, you lose about 96% of the ellagic acid in the walnuts. Fluoridzin, which is a flavonoid in apples, you'll see it's much higher in the peel. So if you're peeling any of the fruits, except, of course, pineapple and banana and those things which you don't want to necessarily be eating the skin, you're going to be losing a lot of the protection. Again, the olive oil. Some people like to buy pure olive oil. It's anything but pure. Uh, it's been highly refined. Extra virgin contains many phytochemicals, some of the ones that are known, that are listed here, tyrosol, hydroxytyrosol, oleuropin, and so on. These are all known to have strong biological activity that protect against cardiovascular disease or cancer. And there's many, many papers that illustrate this. People often ask, well, do these things get destroyed by usual cooking? In general, um, Stir-frying, microwaving doesn't have too much of an effect. Mostly they're fat-soluble, but boiling um, in, in lots of water and chopping them in small pieces, often there is significant loss. Now, you've heard, you've heard about the value of walnuts and almonds and broccoli and cabbage and tomatoes and soya beans and olive oil and garlic. So I'm not going to go over all that because that's old stuff. And you didn't come here today to learn old stuff, although it doesn't hurt to be refreshed and to be uh, consolidated in the way that you're eating. But I, I just want to share with you some other things to add to these. All of these are very important. They're, they are all uh, documented. The phytochemistry of all of these is partly known, the variety of compounds, and they certainly promote our health. So when you eat fruits and vegetables and grains and beans for your vitamins and minerals. Just remember there are thousands of other chemicals that are there which we may not even know the names of but which are providing health promoting properties. So the first one I want to mention is whole grains. Um, research has <clears throat> been coming out over the last few years but this is one of the earliest studies from Boston, from Harvard, where 40,000 nurses are being followed and the data that they publish is that heart disease is reduced significantly, stroke and type 2 diabetes. Now who would ever have thought that diabetes could be reduced, the risk of it could be reduced by making sure that your bread roll was whole wheat. But the data is definitely there. And whole grains have a fairly unique um, polyphenolic called ferulic acid. It's very high in the whole grains, but recently um, they've shown in an article in Cereal Foods that many of the phytochemicals that are in fruits and vegetables are also found in whole grains. So all that data bank that you have stored back here about all the value of fruits and vegetables just add to that whole grains also contain many of those phytochemicals. So just some numbers here, frulic acid, the value parts per million in whole wheat and here is in white flour. You can see it's pretty well depleted, not entirely, but significant loss. Recently, um, rice bran was also 
shown to contain quite a significant level of ferulic acid, which um, induces regression of colon cancer cells and also stimulates apoptosis, which you know is the programmed death of cancer cells. So the brand tends to be where most of these polyphenolics are found, so in any way of removing the brand is going to cause the loss. Also, Harvard published this study which showed in the physician's health study with 20 years of follow-up, two to six servings per day of whole grains was associated with 21% reduction in heart failure compared to those who didn't eat whole grains at all. Okay, so that's whole grains. You can add that to your data bank. Um, we need to stress and emphasize to our clients and patients that we need to try to encourage a greater use. Um, they have the slogan, three are key. We want to make sure at least three servings a day of grain products are whole grains. Okay? So now we move to the second group, which you may have heard about, but I just want to stress again here, and that is berries. Berries are particularly rich in powerful antioxidants that are called anthocyanins. These are what give the berries and the cherries and the plums the rich, deep blue, red, purple color. These are some of the most powerful antioxidants that are known. And these help with uh, protecting against cancer. You can see we've just listed a few of the properties, how they work. They induce apoptosis and they interfere the cell cycle progression. And we list some of the uh, examples that are there. This is earlier work by Joseph. He continues to work in this field. Um, here's another flavonoid that was documented recently, terastilbene, which is shown to suppress cancer of the colon. Strawberries also, earlier work here from ag food chemistry, shown a number of uh, fl uh, flavonoids that are described there, at least four of the major ones, and these also suppress the growth of cancer cells and work in different ways. Berries not only protect us against cancer, but a number of studies have also shown they <coughs> influence the risk of cardiovascular disease. So 72 middle-aged subjects with cardiovascular disease factors but who were not taking medications consume moderate amounts of berries for eight weeks, and this is what they found. Platelet function was inhibited at 11%, <coughs> and blood pressure was decreased significantly. And the decrease occurred mostly in those with more abnormal blood pressure readings. <coughs> there was also a publication in uh, American Journal Clinical Nutrition in August four years ago, where people with elevated blood pressure showed Changes, desirable changes in their blood lipids. The good cholesterol went up and the bad cholesterol went down. Um, cholesterol removal was also improved. So uh, dual effect here, lowering cancer risk as well as lowering cardiovascular disease risk. And the same thing we said about strawberries before, following on with blueberries, um, they also do have somewhat of an effect on cardiovascular processes, decreased uh, tendency for thrombosis, improved endothelial function, etc. 
Okay, a substance you've probably heard quite a bit of, resveratrol, another flavonoid, which is found, you've probably heard of it in grapes, and has been capitalized by the wine industry as a major factor to lower the risk of, of uh, heart disease. Of course, you all know that it comes from grape juice, which comes from grape skins and grape seeds particularly, so you don't need to drink the wine to get it. But it's also found in berries, and um, it has fairly wide um, anti-cancer effect. So it's not only helping with cardiovascular, but also cancer. It shouldn't be any surprise to anybody to conclude that you can see that things that are helpful for cardiovascular protection also help with cancer. These are both inflammatory processes that are helped by these compounds. Most of the flavonoids have anti-inflammatory properties. And these are some of the mechanisms that have been researched and validated for the compound resveratrol, which I said was found in berries as well as grapes. You can see there's at least half a dozen different pathways. Um, those of you who are familiar with, with these technical words, suppression of angiogenesis and so on that supports the tumor growth, these things are all documented. And as I mentioned earlier, the grape juice um, the anthocyanins and other flavonoids in grape juice does help with decreasing the risk of blood clots, a major reason why grape juice and wine helps with heart disease. And recently some research has shown that nitric oxide production has increased, which helps with vasodilation, and there is some data that suggests that some of these pigments may also um, delay memory decline. So. Uh, some of us, of course, are interested in that process. The seeds and the skins have the much higher concentration. That's why wine has higher levels than, than the grape juice. Yeah. Okay, now we move to a third group. We've looked at whole grains. We've looked at berries. Now we move to legumes, or the beans and lentils. And you can see from this fairly recent paper that a high intake of of legumes or beans produces about a 50%, 60% reduction in risk of many different cancers. And not only the cancers, but beans are also good for your heart. Um, you can see here that regular consumption of legumes can reduce your risk of heart disease by the order of 20 to 30%. In a diabetic population, for every 20 grams of legumes eaten per day, risk of death from cardiovascular disease decreased 28%. To be fair, um, we need to include chocolate in here. I know there's a lot of nervousness about chocolate. It's not really a healthy food because of particularly milk chocolate because of all the sugar and fat, but certainly um, Dark chocolate <coughs> has been shown, not milk chocolate, but dark chocolate has been shown to have vasodilatory effects, so blood pressure is decreased. Of course, there are so many other, so many other foods that have these similar flavonoids, we don't need to resort to chocolate, but for those that are chocoholics, um, I do want to win a few brownie points today, so I threw that out. <laughs> Okay, so the fourth group then is spices. 
Um, we all know about garlic, but I, I think there's been almost as much research done on turmeric, a very powerful anti-inflammatory um, substance, the curcumin, the yellow-orange pigment, which um, is used in curries. And for those of you who like to, to avoid scrambled eggs and use scrambled tofu, um, turmeric makes a wonderful colouring agent. But uh, while garlic lowers cholesterol somewhat, onions and ginger are known to lower uh, risk of blood clots. And uh, turmeric, of course, does lower the risk of cholesterol oxidation. All of these, all four of these also lower the risk of cancer. So clearly, one isn't going to be eating large quantities of these, but wherever possible, these, these flavoring agents should be used rather than salt. I mean, salt is everywhere in, in American food supply, and it would be nice when you're able to make your own foods to use these things to flavor them so that your salt intake can be greatly reduced. So here's the example. This is a dish that my wife made, scrambled tofu with some onion um, and parsley and a tomato here in the middle. I've been, we've been able to fool a number of people when they've eaten it, thinking they're eating scrambled egg, we don't have the heart to tell them that this food here has no mother. But <laughs> curcumin is this um, highly conjugated yellow-orange pigment which has been shown to be uh, suppress a number of tumours as well as I mentioned earlier, uh, reducing cholesterol oxidation. So that's an update. Um, on cardiovascular disease and cancer relative to adding to your fruits and vegetables and garlic and so forth, the whole grains, the berries, the beans and the spices. So you can see the, the waterfront is expanding and so more and more whole foods are being shown to be healthful and protective against chronic diseases. Now I, I want to spend the remaining um, half hour that we have here talking about diabetes. Some of this I presented at the Loma Linda Vegetarian Conference in February earlier this year and I know it's of great interest because more and more we're seeing people with diabetes and 26 million people in this country have it and it's unknown to 7 million of them and of course the problem is growing, growing, growing. 350 million they say worldwide and 79 million people aged 20 years and older with elevated blood glucose are at risk of going on to develop type 2 diabetes. The financial projections and the sheer number of people who are going to be involved with this um, in the next 10 to 20 years is just alarming. Most of you have seen pictures of the United States and we're slowly becoming Republican. The blue is being replaced by the red, unfortunately. Um, I don't have, I, in the next lecture, I have the transition, but uh, 20 years ago, the United States was mostly blue, a blue map, and now many, many states are showing high levels of red, which means um, excessive amounts of obesity and overweight. And you can see from the top here that two out of every three Americans are overweight one out of every three are obese. And if that doesn't shock you, then I don't know what can. 
because that is a staggering finger, uh, figure and of course it's happening in all Western countries. And <coughs> this publication in New England Journal of Medicine I thought was rather interesting. They documented that losing 5 to 7% of body weight could actually reduce the risk of developing type 2 diabetes in those that were pre-diabetic by 58% and they showed the actual numbers. These, these are typical uh, weights of people and this is the amount of weight that we would need to be lost to achieve this 5 to 7%. So you, you can see here we're looking at like 10 to 15 pounds. I mean just, just to challenge your patients to lose 10 to 15 pounds could significantly reduce their risk of diabetes. So definitely we need to be pressing this phenomenon. Even though these two lectures are all centered around nutrition, um, I would be blind Freddy if I would ignore the tremendous value of exercise in all of the chronic diseases, every one of them. Um, stroke, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, osteoporosis, good exercise, a, a daily regime is extremely important and we need to get people moving. We have to be intentional and park our car a long way from our office or do something. Park our car a long way from the supermarket. Forget about the drive-throughs and all those other things. Um, we know that exercise helps with weight management, lowers blood lipids and improves insulin sensitivity. All of these, of course, are valuable for the diabetic. This was an interesting paper the last year that showed that, that um, weight training, that, that um, working out can also have value. We tend to think of it's got to be a role, but it's got to be out in the field, hiking, walking, swimming, cycling, whatever. But you can see the risk of diabetes is decreased even by, by um, weight training. And this is an old paper, but I just throw it in to remind you that exercise and counseling is more effective. These numbers here are the chance of a person developing diabetes. These are people who are not diabetic with high blood sugar and they've followed for three years and given a placebo, almost 30% developed diabetes. Very few less who were given an oral hyperglycemic went on, but by far the less were those that were exercising and, and given counselling. So clearly the preventive method is the way to go if you can get your patients to, to stick to it. So people following the prudent diet, fruit, vegetables, whole grains, you compare the highest quintile versus the lowest quintile, you can see we're looking at a 16% decrease, whereas those following the typical Western diet, you know, red meat, fries, high fat, refined grains, a lot of desserts, etc., diabetes, increased risk. So you have the things going in opposite directions. Prudent diet reduces your risk and typical Western diet, the McDonald's diet, is increasing the risk. Now, <clears throat> whole grains we mentioned earlier, we just want to look at a, a few pictures relative to that. 11 overweight adults with high blood levels of insulin were fed either whole grains or refined grains for six weeks. And what was the result? Fasting insulin was measured and for those that were consuming whole grains, it was 10% lower. Chinese study that showed that consuming white rice, um, 300 grams a day or more, 
78% increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes. White rice seems to be a real downer for diabetes. And um, <coughs> recently, um, the Harvard group published their data. This is kind of a bit of a shocker, if you want to call it that way. But we're looking at 40,000 doctors and 160,000 nurses that were followed for almost 20 years. And the epidemiology showed that the risk of developing type 2 diabetes was increased 17% by eating almost daily servings of white rice, whereas eating brown rice twice a week or more, the risk of developing diabetes was decreased. So just simply, in the type of rice that you choose, you can influence your risk of diabetes, either up or down. White rice up 17%. Brown rise down 11%. The authors went on to say that they estimated that replacing 50 grams a day of cooked white rice with the same amount of brown rice decreased the risk of diabetes 16%, whereas replacing it with whole grains was associated with a 36% decrease. Okay, here's another um, study, pooled data including almost 300,000 participants. They found that two servings per day increase in whole grain consumption associated with 21% decrease in the risk of diabetes after adjustments. So the data is coming out quite consistently that whole grains, whole grains, whole grains are going to help with the fight against diabetes. You're all familiar with glycemic index and we need to be steering away from, from the easily digested breads and potatoes and be focusing more on pasta and barley and the whole grain um, substitutes that we'll mention right now. Um, the Asian population in America, um, the Indian, what I wanted to say, the Indian from East India, East Indian population are showing tremendous increases in, in rates of diabetes. And it's believed by those who've studied this that it's a movement away from some of the earlier grains that they used to use, like couscous and quinoa and so forth, towards white rice that is really hampering their controlling diabetes. These, these grains that are mentioned here all contain high levels of protein higher fiber levels, quite significantly higher levels, and lower levels of carbs. And what this translates into is that if you substitute white rice with any one of these grains, you're actually going to produce a lower glycemic response, which is desirable. Okay, now moving to legumes. Here we have 121 persons with type 2 diabetes, and they were encouraged to add a cup of beans to their diet, and this was followed for three months. Okay, and you can see here the initial um, hemoglobin A1C value and also the blood pressure values. And after three months, by adding one cup of beans to their diet, they were able to get significant reductions in hemoglobin A1C, almost 7%, and 3 to 4% reductions in blood pressure. This was published just last October by the Toronto group. 
vitamin D, which I'm enjoying a little bit of here in between meetings. Um, these were o overweight, obese teenagers. Um, you can see, whoops, uh, very much overweight, BMI of almost 40. And they were given 4,000 international units of vitamin D per day, D3. And for the placebo, there was very little change in insulin and fasting, blood glucose and insulin resistance. But with the ones getting, or the period when they were getting vitamin D supplements for six months, you can see the fasting blood glucose decreased significantly. The insulin decreased almost 30%. The insulin resistance decreased 32%. And the insulin sensitivity improved 5%. So this is a total win-win situation for these people. Now the Adventist Health Study, I'm sure most of you know about it or will attend one of the meetings here that they explain it, but here you see the data for diabetes and you can see that a vegetarian diet um, rich in fruits and vegetables and hopefully whole grains protects against diabetes relative to the non-vegetarian and the vegan, even though I'm told this difference is not significant, um, there is certainly a trend downwards. Fruits and vegetable intake lowers your risk of diabetes, particularly in women. You can see the group for men and women combined is not as significantly reduced as it is for, for the women. The authors of this showed that adding one serving per day of green leafy vegetables gave a 9% lower risk of diabetes. And then more recently in the British Medical Journal, they showed that green leafy vegetables decreased the risk of diabetes by 14%. And this was only true for the green leafy vegetables. All vegetables um, did produce a reduction, but it wasn't um, in the significant area. Fruits, likewise, and fruit and vegetables combined. So there's a downward trend, but none of these were statistically significant. <coughs> Again, another study showing that a high vegetable intake, comparing the fifth quintile with the first quintile of intake, the risk of diabetes was decreased 32%. And this was seen for green leafy vegetables, the cruciferous, which is the cabbage family, and some others, the yellow-colored tomatoes, etc. This was a, a publication last year from the International Journal of Food Science that showed that broccoli sprouts, okay, this is not a typo, it's not Brussels sprouts, this is broccoli sprouts, and 10 grams a day of this that was given to pa patients with type 2 diabetes, uh, these broccoli sprouts are known to be very high in sulforaphane, which is an isothiocyanate, phytochemical, which is uh, found fairly uniquely in the uh, cabbage family. And you can see that compared with baseline, after four weeks of taking a daily amount of 10 grams of, of these sprouts, uh, the insulin levels had decreased 16%. And then looking at insulin resistance, in the same study, the 10 grams of broccoli sprouts decreased insulin resistance by a whopping 30% after four weeks. Strawberry powder fed to, that, those studies were done with humans. This is a study done with mice. Strawberry powder also caused a decrease, significant decrease. You can see the p-value there, very significant decrease 
by 6.5% <coughs> blood glucose levels. And then the nurses' health study again from Boston. Um, this showed that the people who were taking the highest intake of anthocyanins, the pigments we mentioned earlier that provide the red, blue, purple color to the berries and cherries and plums and other foods, uh, the highest intake was associated with a 15% lower risk of type 2 diabetes. And this was not shown for all the other flavonoids, but certainly the, the berries seem to be particularly helpful with risk of diabetes. The blueberries, 23% reduction. Some other fruits were also valuable, apples and pears, but we are focusing right now on the, on the berries. <coughs> This is an older study, but just to remind you that nuts and peanut butter also can reduce when regularly used, can reduce the risk of diabetes by 25, 20, 25%. <coughs> Whole grains, berries, green leafy vegetables, nuts, these are all valuable in our fight against diabetes. <coughs> now, not only foods, but we want to also mention in conclusion here we also want to mention some herbs and spices. Um, curcumin was recently shown last year. This was published in Diabetes Care. 240 subjects with pre-diabetes, and they were given just 1.5 grams of curcumin. Now, this is the pigment. This is not turmeric. This is the compound isolated from, to, uh, from turmeric. And they were given this for nine months, and they tracked how many of these pre-diabetics progressed on to diabetes <clears throat> along with changes in beta cell function and insulin resistance. So what, it, what was found in the group getting curcumin, <clears throat> there was zero progression to diabetes, whereas in the placebo group, 16.4%. <clears throat> and then if you look at the curcumin group relative to the placebo group, you can see that beta cell function was improved 26.5% and insulin resistance decreased 20.3%, both significant. Okay, so curcumin, the pigment, <coughs> the pigment in turmeric is certainly having what you might say is an anti-diabetic effect. Cinnamon um, from a tree in Sri Lanka, the bark of the tree there, you can see when rice pudding is consumed and then when certain gram quantities, one gram or three grams are added, there is a reduction in the postprandial glucose and postprandial insulin. You can see with the three grams of cinnamon, you get this, this is statistically significant reduction here, while it tells us that almost 20% drop is seen um, all three occasions. Only at two hours is this statistically significant. Another report from China, Chinese that already had diabetes, but it was poorly controlled. They were taking a sulfonylurea medication, high levels of hemoglobin A1C, and high levels of fasting blood glucose, meaning that it was poorly controlled. They were for 90 days, they were given very small amounts of cinnamon extract, and you can see <coughs> with both levels of cinnamon extract, their fasting blood glucose and their hemoglobin A1C levels were significantly reduced. 
um, cinnamon is known to have flavonoids which work at the receptor site and increase insulin sensitivity. The chemistry is being worked out, but this is another report, just simply blood glucose response in normal and obese adults, not diabetics, just average people. And you can see that adding cinnamon to the cereal or the pudding, in this case it's farina cereal, you can see a, a lower postprandial response. And another study with, with pudding shows that the area under the curve um, from 30 minutes up to two hours is significantly reduced when six grams of cinnamon is added to the pudding. You're looking at these numbers being uh, 50 or 40 percent less than what they are without the cinnamon, showing blood glucose levels drastically decline when when pudding is when when pudding is added with cinnamon. Okay, moving on to fenugreek, which is uh, typically used in the subcontinent, uh, very rich in soluble fiber, galactomannans. That's known. The seeds are known. You see them here known to lower blood sugar and blood cholesterol levels and typically it can be used in breads, muffins and other baked goods. And um, fasting blood glucose, hemoglobin A1c and blood lipids in diabetic rabbits were lowered by this compound that they've isolated from fenugreek called G2. And they found that this compound was actually more effective than typical medication. They um, Unfortunately, this is rabbits and not humans, but nevertheless, the blood glucose they measured um, in diabetic rabbits, and then after they put them on this compound that was extracted from fenugreek, the red represents the diabetic rabbits after 15 days of um, receiving G2, and you can see it's almost similar to blue, which is the normal rabbits. So in other words, the blood glucose response of diabetic rabbits was normalized, I might say, after two weeks of taking this G2 compound extracted from fenugreek. Okay, and bitter melon. This is one that's used mainly by Chinese, West Indian. Um, if you've studied the blue zone, you'll remember that <coughs> people in Okinawa often use this as a fr uh, drink every day. <coughs> very popular treatment for diabetes and known to um, promote insulin secretion due to the saponins that are there. And a study recently published last year where they looked at the effect of bitter melon or carilla on fasting blood glucose and insulin. And you'll see here the control numbers and then these, this is with the bitter melon added at this dose rate and then metformin and you can see the numbers are quite similar in terms of the lowering effect on blood glucose and on insulin. <coughs> and then lastly, um, prickly pear which makes a lovely uh, dessert when you're out hiking. You know, come across these <coughs> tuna as we call them the pads, of course, are commonly using, used by Mexicans, have been doing so for many years. These are very rich in mucilage, soluble fiber, and these have not been studied as well as some of the other 
um, herbal products, but they are known to lower blood glucose as well as your bad cholesterol numbers. So in conclusion, um, what we said first of all in the first half is written down here. Your berries, your beans, whole grains and certain spices will lower your risk of cancer and cardiovascular disease because of the um, phytochemistry that's there and other things as well. And the following foods contain phytochemicals and other components that improve glycemic control or are associated with lower risk of type 2 diabetes. The four things we discussed were green leafy vegetables and the brassica family or the cabbage family, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, etc. Blueberries and other uh, anthocyanin rich berries and fruits, certain spices, fenugreek, cinnamon, curcumin, and then two fruits that we mentioned, bitter melon and a puntia or the prickly pear, um, either the fruits or the pads are valuable there. Okay, well I thank you all and um, wish you the best for the rest of the weekend. And this media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.